You're listening. No. You're listening to the Buns.com Podcast Network. (laughs) (laughs) Buns, buns, buns. It's funny. I, I wrote my dad a letter, an email, basically thanking him. It's probably 2000. I can't remember, nine or like that. So he was, still had his mind. Uh, his thing for being a good dad, what he taught me. And his response to me was, when he got on the phone, he said, I just tried to do what I thought was right. From Sustainable Joe's, this is 2084, a podcast about designing tomorrow, creating a sustainable future for all, told by the people building it today. Hi, I'm Stephen Such. And on today's show, I sit down with the newly elected treasurer of the Democratic National Committee, Mr. William Durow Solis. We talk about where he comes from, what he stands for, and his overall view for the direction of America. We talk about why he, a successful businessman, would choose to throw his hat into the political arena. And topping this episode off is a personal question for the treasurer from our favorite behavioral economist on the planet, Dr. Dan Ariely. Okay. Monologue over. This is my conversation with Mr. William Drosalis. I hope you enjoy. You know, I'm a banker now. Uh, I work on Wall Street. Uh, my brother is a doctor, lives in Silicon Valley. And I think what's interesting is that we're both still Democrats. You know, my dad, uh, I remember being told around five or six that we're Democrats. Because the Democrat Party is for, is for working people. He probably said working men. But when he meant men, he meant like mankind. The point being is that you know, his view was that the Democratic Party was there to help uh, working people. You know, his family, if you go back, were um, business people from Illinois, Republicans. In fact, his father, there's a picture somewhere, I think he actually was the treasurer of the Republican Party of the county uh, in Illinois where they lived. Um, but his father lost everything in the Depression, um, ultimately committed suicide. His mother took their small family from Chicago to L.A. to live with her father. And it was a, you know, the Depression was a horrible time. You know, there was a lot of deprivation. At least they had a roof over their heads. And, you know, they viewed the things that Franklin Delano Roosevelt did as um, transformative. You know, that it was the government really trying to help people as opposed to sort of waiting for things to get better. And, you know, my dad would talk about the programs. There's kind of a long list of things when I think about the Democratic Party that the party has done. Not that it's perfect, made mistakes. But, um, you know, my, I don't think my brother and I would be where we are today but for a lot of those things. My dad was a union carpenter for 35 years. Carpenters are in and out of work a lot. You get sent out to a job site, that job might last three months, then you're back in line. Go back to the union hall, you're in line until your number is up, if there's a next job. Uh, unemployment insurance, you know, we were on unemployment insurance regularly. I do remember at least once unemployment insurance running out. You know, my brother and I both went to college. We both had uh, Pell grants, which were I think it was financial need oriented and potentially you had to have a certain grade uh, average. You know, we had student loans. And so, you know, I kind of view it that we owe not just for ourselves, but also for our dad to support the Democratic Party, but also to help the Democratic Party continue doing 
that kind of thing for people. And is it just to support the Democratic Party or is it to support America? And on top of all of that, do you think that the current American government is doing or has been doing for the last even 20 years everything it can to support everyday Americans? I mean, look, Democratic makes lots of mistakes too, like any other organization. But I think generally speaking, it has a, a, a view that if we can make people's lives better, mm -hmm. we're going to try to do that. Sometimes people need a hand up or a safety net. Mm -hmm. But going back to your point, like it's not just to help the Democratic Party, of course. It's really to try to help this country. And you know, when I look at the economic um, gap getting bigger, first of all, I don't think that's what America is supposed to be. Um, I think we're supposed to be creating an opportunity for upward movement. If you're you know, a lower class, working class kid, like Tom Perez, who's now chair of the Democratic Party, he, He's a child of two Dominican immigrants. Um, I think his father died when he was 10 or 11. He worked on the backs of garbage trucks and all kinds of things to pay for his way to go to school. Um, like To me, that's, like, that's the way it's supposed to work. Absolutely. When we look, though, at access to food, healthcare, education, and housing in America, and then we look at the, the billions allocated to military spending annually, how do you reconcile the fact that, that tens of millions of Americans fail to have what I would consider to be basic human rights? And moreover, how do we go about correcting that? Look, the, the policy prescriptions are really, it's complicated, right? Um, and the Democratic National Committee, you know, we don't, you know, day to day kind of get into, pol like, here's the 10 policy prescriptions we should bring forward on the one hand. I, uh, on the other hand, I think we do try to step back and think about it from, uh, you know, what broadly think, speaking things should we be trying to do? I, I don't know that we want to be in a dynamic where, you know, there's free housing, free education, free, but people don't actually have to do something and contribute to society, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we have to give people a purpose. Everybody it, needs it, a purpose. It, it, exactly, and they need to try to find that purpose. Now, not everybody wants to go to college, should go to college. Some people say, you know what? I'm perfectly happy, you know, Staying in my small town and getting a job and working there the rest of my life. Contributing to my community. Right. Being a carpenter like your dad. Right. We need to be a say that kind of says, like, it's okay if you want to go to Wall Street and work 70 hours a week, 100 hours a week. That's, that's great. And you're, it's great if you want to go start a company and put 100 hours a week into that. Uh, but it's also perfectly great if you want to go to college and then become a teacher or if you want to be a postal worker, if you want to be a carpenter. Each one of those job has various economic rewards and risks associated with them. And they all do contribute to, to society in, in kind of an overall fashion, but we need to re recognize that not everybody starts on the same, you know, base in baseball. You know, you know some people start, they're not even, don't even get an at-bat. Some people start on third base. Some people don't even have a uniform. Right, right. And so we need to, to recognize that and um, we need to understand that and and do what we can to try to improve that, which probably means things like doing everything we can to improve the public schools, means doing everything we can to uh, create economic development in areas that have been become depressed, like the former manufacturing centers in the United States, uh, and not just sort of wait for the market to figure it out. So what does that look like? I mean, because that, that's what I'm most, most curious about. How do you provide people with the opportunity to prosper economically when you think of the future of America? Like, what does that look like? 
There's always a danger. And, and so like, the typical Republican side is government shouldn't be picking winners and losers because we don't do a very good job of that, although we do do it in the defense area. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not trying to attack the aerospace and defense industry or the defense industry in general. Just I, I do believe the government can be a force for good in people's lives, but government by itself doesn't solve the problem all by itself. Government doesn't exist without taxes, right? And so for taxes, you need to have vibrant industry, people earning income to pay those taxes. A prosperous society. Right. A prosperous society. Those, all those things work together. You know, when you look at any one industry as an example, and you start understanding all the various inputs that get into making this one thing, and you realize, okay, well, uh, there's, a, there's these barges that bring up this raw material up the river, and, and someone's got to own those barges and someone else manages the barges, and someone else schedules the barges, and they're only bringing one piece. And all the things that come together has been you know, developed over time, not really by the government, but by the demands of the marketplace. The government can facilitate that. I think the government can also kind of go and say, look, this area is depressed. We need to work to redevelop it and trying to figure out ways to do that. So I think in some of these areas where you see kind of a hollowed out community, you, it's not going to get revitalized just by the private sector by itself. You need government being open to make it happen, working in partnership with, with industry. And to me, that's like the perfect example. You know, it's not just the free market. Hey, everybody, a minute of ads coming your way because, well, I get green beer for green chats from Steam Whistle and Buns hosts this podcast. So first to Steam Whistle Brewing from their 100% renewably powered brewery, to their green bottles, which can be reused up to three times more than a standard brown bottle. Quote unquote, Steam Whistle is proud to support Sustainable Joes as we work to create a sustainable tomorrow together. 2084 is also thankful for the support of Buns, your city network. Buns connects you with the people in your neighborhood to help you find the things you need to fuel your real life or swap things you already have to get items you need. You can also find jobs that pay the bills, homes for rent, advice, and just a place to talk about your city. Buns is available online at buns.com, that's buns with a Z, and on your phone via the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. Lastly, this podcast is publicly funded. Thank you to all of those who support our monthly Patreon campaign, and if you have the capacity to contribute or would like your business to be highlighted right here on the Sustainable Joe's 2084 podcast, send us a message at sustainablejoes.com. That's Joe's with an S, because whether you are Joseph or Joanne, together we are a group of Joes, and together we're going to change the world. Now back to the show. How does industry, government, and and everyday citizens work together? How do they, they, they reestablish that trust? Because I would argue that those three spaces are, are pretty siloed currently. Well, I think part of it is that we have become more and more of a society of looking out for number one. I think so, so much of society has evolved in that direction, including you know, all the social media and internet stuff. It allows people to not interact with people that are right next to them, uh, but to spend all their time looking at Instagram and Facebook and things like that. One idea, it's not my idea, is we should reinstitute the draft a compulsory service at the age of 18 for your country. You know, the, the great thing about the draft for my father, or the military in World War II, obviously we're fighting, 
But he was exposed to people from all over the country. There was, you know, Sam, who was a Jewish guy from New York, and there was an Italian guy from, you know, Italian ethnically from, uh, from Boston, and there was some guy from the South, and there's some guy, and, you know, the old phrase, ignorance breeds contempt, at 52 years old, all those phrases you've learned as a kid, they're all true. The more that people get to know each other, people who they think are different, the more likely they're going to appreciate each other and, and not try to separate. And I think that, that those kinds of things actually bind uh, a society together. Going back 50, 60, 70 years, coming out of World War II, I feel like America was really like a force for good in such a divided nation currently. How do you reconnect with people with some of those foundational ideologies? So I think the answer, one of the answers to bridging the divide is people getting to know each other. Eric Cantor joined my firm in 2014 after losing his primary. He was the number two Republican in the House of Representatives, generally viewed to be a conservative. And uh, the truth is we get along really well. You know, we like each other. We, you know, we ask about each other's families. He, he remembers my husband's name. I know his wife's name. And, and, you know, when we're kind of both couples are together, we, you know, we get together and talk about, you know, we chat and we're all friendly and, and he and I, you know, do business together from time to time. And, um, you know, we recognize we don't agree on a lot of things. Uh, I mean, we recognize we don't agree on everything, I should say. Um, but I think he wants the country to do well. He knows that I want the country to do well, but we know we come at it from different perspectives. If we were to spend time talking about our backgrounds with each other and our actual experiences, so I, I could explain to him what it actually is like when unemployment insurance runs out, your dad's a carpenter, and there's just no work. There's no work. What is that like? It's not the same thing as you've started a business, and obviously you own a business and business is bad. That's a different perspective. But I, I think that that um, not that everybody has time for group therapy, but just getting to know each other better, whether it's getting to know LGBT people, whether it's getting to know African-American people, whether it's getting to know um, business people. I grew up in a household that was very skeptical of business, you know? And so we kind of thought big business is bad because what do you hear about big business? You don't hear positive things because it's not news. What makes the news is scandal, crisis. There's a utility that just poisoned this or there's a bank that just did this bad thing or whatever. So the general perspective and perception people have is that you know, big business is always trying to screw people. That's not true. There are some people in big businesses who do bad things. But big business by itself, big companies are not by themselves bad. Um, similarly, people who come from the other side, people who come from a business background, they think all unions are bad. They hate unions. So um, I, I think people need to learn more about what they uh, don't have experience with to try to bring the society together. When there's a, you know, World War II obviously brought everyone together. We had, a, we had common enemies that were literally trying to you know, change the way that we in the United States live and Canada and the UK uh, from a you know, basic democratic freedom perspective. And so that kind of as a way of unifying everybody, just like September 11th, you know, after September 11th, the entire Congress got on the, on the steps of the Capitol. It was no red or blue. When you say well, what does well in America? You mean like do like? well, you mean? Yeah. When you say like we, we all want America 
to, to do well um, and people to mm. have the opportunity to do well? What does, what, what is well to you? What does that look I like? I think, um, I think it's, it's uh, opening up the path for every American to achieve their full potential if they want to. Helping to clear the brush for people to move ahead in their lives with education, with healthcare, with employment opportunities, and with general kind of societal fairness. It doesn't mean handing people, you know, a lifetime income stream to say, you know, this is what you're going to get forever. I, I believe very much that, as an example, you know, we should be helping people get higher education, but there should be some element of earning it. I learned from my parents, if you want something, you got to work for it. You know, nothing gets handed to you. So you want to go to college, you got to earn your way in with grades. I think we need to fix the, the, the college payment system not to make it free for everybody, but to make it more affordable for everybody. Yeah, because it, it, it's certainly out of reach for many, many, many. Well, especially when you look at, I mean, I, I think part of the answer is, is to ensure that the state university systems are really good and affordable for a working class kid. Not free necessarily. You know, it could be as like, well, you'll get a free school, but you got to work these two jobs on campus. You know, because I think the notion of, of earning is important. You know, it, it's teaching people, if they haven't had jobs before, that if you, you know, want something, you have to work for it. Speaking of earning, speaking of economics, uh, this question comes from a man I respect greatly, uh, world-renowned behavioral economist Dan Ariely. I would like to know what, what does he think are the, the requirements uh, for people to believe in the ideology of the Democratic Party? What are kind of the, the, the fundamentals that cause somebody to behave, to believe in the, not in the party as it is right now, but in the party in general? Like, does he think that the main ingredient is that all people are equal? That the, that the state is, uh, has good intentions, you know, what is it? And in contrast, uh, what are the parallel tenets and beliefs of the Republicans? Uh, difficult question, but I would love to know what he thinks. And then I would say, and how could we, at what age do people need to start believing those, and how do we acquire those? So I'm thinking about Fountainhead by Anne Rand, that they distribute about half a million books to kids. Each year, does that create um, belief in libertarianism that starts early and gets stuck? So, you know, to me, the Democratic Party, this is always a challenge, right? You ask a Democrat to define what the Democratic Party stands for, and you get like, you have to ask 100 Democrats, you get 100 different answers. And we like to joke that the Republicans have got to boil down, and it's a bumper sticker. Less taxes, less government, and maybe more guns. You know, Democrats generally would say is, is we, we believe in libertarian notions of people shouldn't be able to tell you what to do in your personal life. I think the, the Democratic Party stands for a, a basic notion that government can 
be can have tremendous be a, trem a tremendous force for good in society and people's lives. Without government, we wouldn't have public schools. Without government, we uh, wouldn't have uh, a highway system and, and airports. Without government, we wouldn't police have firefighters and police officers. Absolutely, the most the most basic things. And then you start, you know, getting to bigger questions. Should the government be involved in in helping people take care of their health? And people do you think that's a yes or no? By the way, I think it's a yes because. And when you say involved, what, what do you think that involved is? I mean, as somebody who grew up in Canada, like, I know when we moved to Florida, like, my mom had, like, oh, snap. If, if, if I break an arm, we're looking at thousands of dollars. Whereas in Canada, if you break your arm, you might pay thousands of dollars more in taxes, but if you break your arm, go to, go to the hospital, get your arm fixed. Right, so, so there's this constant battle when people talk about Canada in other countries in the United States is, you know, you, like anything, you hear the horror stories about someone waiting in line for nine months to get a liver transplant or whatever, and you know, here you can go quick a bit of, of course you'll walk out with a $100,000 bill. We know that whether Obamacare is perfect or not, I'm not an expert. I'm sure there are things we can do to improve it. Medicare has been modified multiple times over the years. But prior to Obamacare, uh, hospitals were overburdened by people going into hospitals, emergency rooms, and treating them like a doctor because they didn't have health care, they weren't going to see a regular doctor for preventative treatment, and they couldn't pay the bill at the emergency room. So the hospitals were basically eating it. They were being required to treat these people, and it was burdening the system in a different way. So ultimately, the soci society pays the cost of the health care problem one way or another. And you can either do it on a proactive basis where you are creating sort of a preventative health system that is nipping things in the bud so people don't get super sick. Uh, they can go to the doctor for checkups, go to the dentist for checkups, and not wait until there are like abscesses and they're dying and they're in the emergency room and all these terrible things. I think that's a more efficient way, nipping it in the bud. You know, it's better to go out to your garden and pull the weeds when they're small than waiting until they become massive and overgrowing everything and then it's a lot more work and a lot more expense. And so I, I, I don't think anybody disagrees with that. Then it becomes a question of how do we go about it? It's the notion of libertarianism and like, don't tell me what to do, to a lot of people also extends to don't make me pay for somebody else's thing. Well, I'm sorry, that's part of society. We pay for firefighters. We pay for the police, right? We pay taxes. To be a part of society. To be a part of society that works. I'm not someone who necessarily says that healthcare is a right or not a right. I look at it as basic fundamental logic for society. It is generally better to have a healthy population than an unhealthy population. That to me makes a lot of sense. So back to Dan's question, what would you say are those basic tenets of the Democratic Party? And two, like, when do we want to foster those in society? I, I think the basic tenets of the Democratic Party are um, that we are a party that believes in going forward. Uh, we're a party that believes uh, that um, tomorrow can be a better day for everybody. Uh, that if we all uh, work together, uh, we can create uh, paths and mechanisms for people to advance their lives. Uh, maybe it circles back to the answer to your question in the beginning is, if you take that healthcare problem off of people's backs, people who struggle every day to make ends meet, 
or, or maybe they're middle class, but you know, one bad bill bankrupts the family and the whole thing goes downhill. Um, uh, maybe that is one of the fundamental answers underlying uh, uh, some of the questions we've been talking about. And, and I think, you know, not everybody in the Democratic Party believes the same thing, nor does everyone in the Republican Party. Um, but, you know, I go back to it. We believe that government can be a force for good in people's lives. We believe that the government can help level the playing field for people where it is inappropriately unlevel. Example being? Uh, you know, voting rights laws, uh, where it makes it harder for African Americans or Hispanics to vote because of you know, making the uh, voter ID requirement so onerous for their particular community. You know, many people black in the African American community and Hispanic community don't have birth certificates. They just don't have them. They were born there. They don't have them. Well, a typical upper middle class person is like, well, my mom has it in the safety deposit box. They don't have a safety deposit box, right? So if the starting point is you got to have a birth certificate to then get the appropriate state ID, you're not going to get that ID. How do you get a birth certificate? Got to go to the county. There's a whole process to get there. If you don't have a car, if you aren't the most savvy about the administrative process, you may never get that ID and you may never vote. And, um, you know, I don't know why we make it harder for people to vote. Why wouldn't we want high participation? Well, the truth is that there are many people on the other side who use those things to actually suppress voting. That, to me, is just massively un-American. What Getting is American to you? What is American? To you. Um, you know, my brother and I are Eagle Scouts. On my honor, I will do my best to do my duty to God and my country, to obey the Scout law, to help other people at all times. So, to help other people at all times. To keep myself physically strong, mentally awake, and morally straight. The notion that you see somebody in need, you try to help them. That, to me, that's being American. How do you help the Democratic Party get its voice back? I think we're getting there. I think um, uh, look, there's lots of different voices. We're, we wouldn't be the Democratic Party if we didn't have lots of people wanting to speak up and not fall in line because it's not what we do. I think that we need to remind people of all the things that we have done to help change society here for the better. Uh, I think many, many people, most of society wasn't even alive for Watergate, let alone knowing that it was the Democrats who gave us Medicare and Social Security and unemployment and all these other kinds of things. So part of it is reminding people what we have done and where we're going. And where are you going? I think where we're going is really following through on some of the things that have been talked about in the past to deal with some of these economic issues that are related to globalization and to automation which is finding ways to invest in communities and to bring industry, public-private partnerships, not picking winners per se, which ultimately fails. You know, like, you know, we're going to go start this company. You, know, you, you need to know that there's actually a, a, a profit uh, opportunity ultimately, because otherwise it won't ultimately survive other than with government sub subsidies. I think it's helping solve the educational issue. It's improving the hourly wage. Keep working to improve the lot for people at the lower ends of the economic spectrum. You know, the healthcare issue, I think, needs to move forward, not backwards. I don't have the, the, the policy recipe for that.
and, and deliver to people a government that works. I mean, I actually think that the Obama administration did a lot of great things for the country. It just happened to be in the middle of a massive economic recession uh, where people were really hurting. There were a lot of things we, I think, they, they would have wanted to get done, but there were forces fighting against it. What about global citizens? Does America have a responsibility to, to the rest of the world? I think we do to be a leader, but I think we have a problem right now is we can't even get our own house in order. You know, my mom used to say charity begins at home. She didn't make that up, but you know, she used to really rail at the TV and she was more of a Republican, but you know, it's the foreign aid packages that we were putting together when there were people, there were poor people in this country. There were poor people who didn't have food and shelter. And there still are a lot of poor people in this country. Right, and so um, it's not to say that we should you know, hibernate and, or, or look, only look inward, but I do think that we have a lot of problems we have to take care of here you know, we should be part of, you know, a fight on global warming. We should be part of, you know, fighting global sex trafficking and things like that. Not, I'm not saying we take our eyes off the ball because it ultimately affects everybody anyway. I, I, I do think that right now, the 24-hour news cycle, all these news outlets, if you want to call them that, where people can basically curate their own feed. So it's just an echo chamber. I think all that's bad. You know, in my Boy Scout troop, we had my dad was a carpenter. We had a guy who owned a gas station. We had a guy who worked at an insurance company. We had a guy who was an accountant. We had two guys who were Pan Am pilot, or one guy was a Pan Am pilot, one guy was a United pilot. You know, we had this broad section of dads. And it brought people together. Yeah. And we weren't necessarily that broad ethnically, necessarily. It's kind of where the town was, but every, you know, we all did stuff together, you know? And I don't know what people's political parties were. We didn't really talk about politics back then. What world do you want your boys to grow up in? Like, when, when they're your age, what do you hope their world looks like? Look, I th I'd, I'd love it to be a world where, um, you know, the temperature was not rising and the seas were healthy and, you know, the spe numbers of species was uh, recovering. You're speaking my language with biodiversity <laughs> to start. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I don't believe that God turned over the world to us and said, do whatever the hell you want this amazing creation that we live in today, that we just think it's okay to, that we've lost thousands of species. Like, why is that a good thing? You know, we don't have to tear down the Amazon forest for certain things, you know. Costa Rica has proven that you can actually have a better economy by protecting your environment and turning it into ecotourism than strip mining and stripping everything down. Not that that works for everybody. You know, California, this economy is doing quite well, and they have tremendous environmental protection laws. You know, there are vast stretches in the neighbor in the county I grew up in that are just they are they are agricultural trust, and uh, so you know I'd love it to be a society where we balance things out. Um, I think you can be pro environment, you can be pro labor, you can be pro business, and pro growth. I think you can be all those things, um, but you have to compromise. I go back to the ADA, the American Disabilities Act. People said, oh my God, it's gonna destroy small businesses. It didn't. Maybe it a little more expensive for some people at the time, but at the end of the day, it was broadly speaking better for the broader society. We need to pass laws like that sometimes. It's funny, I, I wrote my dad a letter, an email, basically thanking him. It's probably 2000, I can't remember, nine or like that. So he was, still had his mind. Uh, he's thankful for being a good dad, what he taught me. And his response to me was, when he got on the phone, 
He just said, I just tried to do what I thought was right. That was Mr. William Duro Solis, the newly elected treasurer of the Democratic National Committee. And of course, our feature question came from the one and only Dr. Dan Ariely. To be clear, I strongly believe that top-down policy reform is the fastest way to enact substantial, sustainable change. So I ask you, please become politically active. For as Pericles said, just because you don't take an interest in politics, doesn't mean that politics won't take an interest in you. Now before I sign off, do you know someone or some company that's creating a sustainable tomorrow right now? Let us know at sustainablejoes.com and maybe we will highlight them right here on the podcast. Thank you to my producer Koji Nagata and the entire Buns Podcast Network. Thank you to Steam Whistle for the green beer and thank you for listening. You can subscribe to 2084 on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And please do us a favor. Leave us a message and a review while you're there. Lastly, thank you to everyone who supports this podcast. We are publicly funded. And if you have the capacity, please consider a monthly contribution to our Patreon campaign. You can find the link at sustainablejoes.com. Music for this episode was provided by Wolf Saga. You can find them on Facebook by searching Wolf Saga. Thanks, Johnny. I'm Stephen Such, and we'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. For now, I leave you with a track from Wolf Saga. <laughs>